You're listening to Nonstop Rock Talk with Tyson Bryden. Steve, welcome to Nonstop Rock Talk. It is truly a pleasure to have you on the show today. How are you doing, man? It's great to be here, man. Thanks for having me on. And hello to everybody out there on the worldwide intraweb. Yes. Um, I'm going to go right into your latest Tokyo Motor Fist effort, effort entitled Lions. It also features Danger Danger singer Ted Poley, bassist Greg Smith, and drummer Chuck Bergy. I hope I pronounced that right. Bergy. Bergy. Okay. Uh, right from the opening guitar line on Youngblood, I was sucked in. Like that, that little intro thing you did at the beginning of that song is so cool and then kind of goes into the song. Um, I must start off by asking about the collaborations and t- collaboration in terms of writing. Do you collaborate with the band or do you primarily write the material and bring it forth to the band? I'm just kind of curious of that whole process. Yeah, it's primarily, I'm the, you know, Tokyo Motor Fist is kind of my baby. I'm the leader, producer, engineer, guitar player, you know, music, art director, lawyer, manager, business manager, all, all rolled up in one. But wow. um, in essence, what I do is I make a Steve Brown solo record when I when I start writing because I don't make demos. I finish everything up to where I program the drums and program that you know i play the bass and play keyboards and really make it so it's it's finished and most of you know when when i most of the tracks that you hear on the record are the tracks that i record for like when i send the songs to send the songs to chuck ted and greg and uh and that's 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 what happened the only song on this record that was a true collaboration which is a great story is the last song on the record winner takes all which was a song that chuck bergy wrote probably 38 years ago back in the 80s wow. and he you know anytime when i'm whether it's trickster or tokyo motor fest or whoever i'm working with if we're making a record i always tell everybody you know look my you know everybody knows i'm the guy the songwriter blah 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 yeah. and so i always tell everybody though if you have something you have any ideas if you have a song bring it in i'm not i'm not opposed to anything you know so Chuck sent me the song and I was just, I heard something there. It sounded like some, his original demo of it was really, it was a cassette and it was really shitty sounding, but it had something. It sounded like, it sounded like it should have been on the Top Gun soundtrack, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Very 80s. But I heard something that I could, uh, there, there was a gem there that I knew I could polish. And that's exactly what I did. So I added the detune, fair warning, Eddie Van Halen guitar thing to it, the junk, junk, chugging away and made it heavy it up. And then Ted came in after I had worked it up and he said, can we change the chorus melodies a little bit? He made some changes. So that song is the, you know, the first in Tokyo Motor Fist history. That's a true collaboration where, you know, Chuck, Ted and, and, and myself are songwriters on that, on that track. So, but everything else is me, you know, I write the songs and get everything up, you know, to basically a finished, like I said, a solo record. And then I give it to the guys and I tell them, here's here's the 11 songs, 12 songs we're going to do. Take these songs, learn them the way they are, and then put your own personality into it and make the parts your own, put your own spin on it. Greg comes up with these incredible, beautiful, soulful bass lines. Ted comes in and adds his vocal style. And that's what makes that's what makes it a true band effort and what makes it a Tokyo Motor Fist record. Now, now... The album, as I said previously, is titled Lions, and it's also a track on the album as well. But I think it's rather an interesting title, and the artwork really coincides with that title and looks amazing. 
Was there a specific reason as to why this was chosen as the title, though? Well, it was chosen because of the song. You know, the song is basically the message of the record. and It's a message to the world and to, you know, especially my country, America, right now, because we're in such a fucked up state that, uh, you know, the song is about, you know, making change and being yourself and trying to influence others to be leaders and take charge of their lives and take charge, be lions to your family and your friends. And most of all, to as one country and world that we need to unite to make a change and make the world a better place for us all to live in. And it's a very bold statement, but, you know, I've always written songs that have, you know, kind of social issues, you know, in them, you know, though I'm known for, you know, my biggest hit, give it to me good. You know, we all know what that's about, (laughs) but, uh, you know, on the second tricks, the record, you know, road of a thousand dreams and nobody's a hero touched upon that. So I always like to do that. And it was a very powerful song. And then lions again, it's my probably my most grandiose song I've ever written in my career. You know, I, I've been telling everybody it's my it's like my Bohemian Rhapsody. You know, so tip of the hat to you know Brian and Freddie and Roger and 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 uh, the Queen guys. But um, you know, it was one of those things that that song was the one. I was like, man, Lions, that would be a cool title for the record. And I came up with the album, did the artwork idea, you know, to have a lion that's in a desolate mountain. Because, you know, the first lines of the song are, the world is in chaos, the rats are running the race. You know, if that doesn't say at all for what we're living right now, and I wrote this song a year ago, you know, and it's not like I could have foreseen this was going to be our future a year ago. You know what I mean? Or where we're yeah. living right now. So um, it's very, very fitting for the times. And, uh, you know, again, with the artwork, what I wanted when I told the, the Andre, the, art, the, the guy who did the artwork after I gave him the direction, I just told him these words. I said, this record and this music, and he agreed because I sent him the record before it was done. You know, I said, this record is important. It's timeless. It's a classic. And it needs the artwork needs to be epic. And I think he achieved all of those um, all of those words in the in the artwork and fits beautifully with the music, I believe. Now, when I when of course, when I listen to this, I mean, it's Ted Poley from Danger Danger. I hear that Danger Danger, you know, that feel it's going to sound like Danger Danger. But I believe um you worked with Bruno Ravel. Uh, he helped with the mix. Um, for years, I've loved Bruno's works in ter- term of his production and mixing. Um, was working with Bruno on this mix something that you had in mind from the beginning? And what do you think he actually brought to the album in the mix? Well, Bruno, again, you know, Bruno's a lifelong friend. I've known him since, you know, the Trickster days, Trickster and Danger Danger. You know, they came out a couple of years before us and We've been brothers ever since. He lives in the next town over from me in uh, up in northern New Jersey here. So uh, we, we hang and I also play in Danger Danger from time to time. So um, I think Bruno is one of the most talented guys I've ever met as far as an engineer, producer, songwriter, bass player, all around. You know, very much him and I are very much in the same sort of headspace as, as what we do. As much as we love to play live. We love to be creators in the studio, whether it's engineering and producing other people's stuff or doing our own. So I, I, getting back to why I chose Bruno, I knew when I wrote this record that 
and I knew while making it, it was extra special. I think it's light years better than the first record. Um, and I didn't think I could top that because I kind of thought I was like, wow, this, the, the debut album came out so yeah. great, but it was easy because I knew we had something extra special and I knew I had to go the extra length to get. And I said to Bruno, I said, I need you on this. And he was all about it and he loves this music. And, you know, again, you know, this isn't rocket science, you know, Tokyo Motor Fist, if you take, you know, Trickster, Danger, Danger, Rainbow, uh, bon Jovi, Def Leppard, Van Halen, Motley Crue, put it all in a blender. That's what we are. You know, we're a product. And so Bruno and, you know, I love his work that he did with Danger Danger, of course, but I really love the last two Defiance records. I think he just outdid himself with that. And, you know, dude, listen, with technology, every it's getting to where, you know, 20 years ago, we weren't able to make records like we are nowadays in our homes. You know, nowadays with plugins, you know, Stephen Slate plugins and all this great recording stuff that we have, you know, that you can put on a laptop, you can make incredible records. So Bruno and I are both in tune with all that. And it was just a perfect, um, perfect marriage, you know, we're, and we're doing more work together. We really, really uh, enjoyed working with each other. And again, the way it worked was Bruno, when Bruno was mixing, I would send him a song, he would get it set up. I say, you get it ready to where you think it's good. And then I'll come over and we'll tweak it and we'll together, we will make it great. So he had it like some of the songs, 80% there and it sounded great. Things that you, if you heard his mix, you probably would say, oh, this sounds great. But the, the little things and like, you know, always, you, as you can imagine with me, first thing I do, turn the guitars up. Turn the guitar solo up. Turn my background vocals, because, you know, I do all the background vocals, all the vocal, the Def Leppard, Mutt Lang stacks on all the yep. songs. Turn that up, you know, make it make it a little bit more rock. And uh, again, that's it, you know, and then the very minor changes, but they make a huge difference. So it was just a pleasure because, like I said, Bruno lives in the next town over, so it was easy to go over there. And uh, we just had a lot of fun. And it's been a long time coming. You know, we've known each other for, you know, decades, but we've never worked together except for playing live gigs. But it was fun to finally work in the studio that's with awesome. Him. I mean, Bruno actually came on my show a few months ago and uh, I think somehow I, I don't. Don't know if it was during the interview or before the interview. We had he had actually told me that he had mixed the album with you, and he was talking. We we're talking about old Van Halen, and that's how that came up because he he met he yeah. something about the use of the phaser on the guitar. <laughs> so he said, "Oh yeah, Steve Brown put a bunch of phaser on it," and and I just thought that that was so cool. Um, but. In terms of the approach on your, uh, in terms of guitar, do you use the same sound with Trickster as you would in Tokyo Motor Fist? Do you mix it up? Do you, do you really uh, branch out more with this than you would with Trickster? Or? Well, I think, you know, look, it's my style that, you know, the way I make records, I like to build a song up, you know. Uh, with a couple different guitar tracks. It really depends on the song because on this record, you know, two songs in particular, um, Decadence on 10th Street, which is total Van Halen, you know, kind of my, you know, kind of my bowing down, hailing Edward Van Halen. And, you know, it's got a kind of Aerosmith, Van Halen, Aerosmith vibe to it. And totally the guitar solo, Bruno and I were totally going for Van Halen 1, 1978, used, used my EVH Phase 90 yeah. on that and, and just fucking nailed it. 
Um, but so the other thing about it is that that song and the song Sedona is a single guitar track. Basically, it was my playthrough work track that I did and it just had a magic and it was a live guitar take and there's a little some mistakes in there but like I tried recreating it and I couldn't do it and then also when I tried doubling and tripling the guitar tracks to make them really big it lost that again it lost that Van Halen thing and Van Halen is always when I'm making records you know there are two things two or three things that I always go to I always go you know like what would Van Halen do what would Mutt Lang do and like what would Bon Jovi wow. do you know what yeah. I mean and so they're the references you know, because I think you have to have that, you know, you got to And as long as you, if you have a good reference base and you go, all right, this, this is good. It sounds like that. If, if, it, if it worked for them, it's going to work for me. So it's for me as a guitar player, everything's based around Van Halen. And regarding the sound, I mean, look, that's what I'm going for. Some of the other songs, the song Monster and Me, the second track on the record, you know, that's a song that has you know, 10 guitar tracks on it. You know, it's very much layered, very Def Leppard. Um, and that's what that song was about. So I think my guitar approach on record is, is geared towards the song and whatever the song calls for, you know, again, winner takes all that song. That's a single guitar track that do, do you know, the, the, the metal part, you know, with the keyboards under it. So that was really it. And, you know, as far as equipment goes, you know, I use a variety of, you know, things. I keep it simple. You know, I use the EVH amps. I'm a, you know, 25 year plus endorser of all Ed Van Halen stuff. You know, he's an old friend of mine and he takes care of me. So, I have the new 5150s. I just got this 5150 lunchbox, the little yeah. one that I fucking love, and it sounds incredible. So I use that on a bunch of stuff. I have my Headrush pedal board with my signature Headrush guitar presets that I used. And basically all that is is what when I make my presets, I, I put a I put in clips of Van Halen songs and I try to match up the tone with that. So my main sound that, you know, again, it all, for me, it all reverts guitar wise. It all reverts back to Van Halen vocal wise. It all reverts back to Mutt Lang and Def Leppard. So there you have it's it. It's like I can't, can't miss <laughs> really when you think about it. I mean, I'm fans of both big fans. So yeah, that was always, and that's what I always tried to do. And, you know, it's a shame because like the first Trickster record, you know, it's a funny story about it. Yeah, it was really successful and, you know, put put us on the map in my career. And probably the reason I'm still talking and doing interviews is because of that. But when we made that record, I was bummed out when it, we got it because the mix didn't measure up to what I wanted it to be like. And, you know, because when you're in the studio... When, you know, and I learned this and I didn't have the experience, but, you know, you're in this great studio and they have these awesome monitors, these big things. It sounds totally different than when you go listen to it in your car or when you look. And it was like, I remember when we were listening to the mixes in the studio, it sounded unfucking believable. And you know why it sounded unfucking believable? Because it was. The speakers were hyped. It was low end out the end. And then we got the record mastered. And brought it home, we were all kind of like, wow, this sounds like a garage. And then I later found out that it was like a financial thing that we couldn't hire somebody to mix the record that we wanted to. And our managers and our record company wanted to keep it like garage sounding. They sort of wanted it to sound that way. But it was kind of a bummer, you know. And fun interesting enough, once we had success with Give It To Me Good, 
when I knew One in a Million was going to be the second single, I demanded MCA Records. We hire Mike Shipley, who is Def Leppard and Mutt Lang's engineer, and we were friends with those guys. I had them mix. I had Mike Shipley mix the One in a Million single, and I tr- begged and pleaded with MCA Records to have them remix the whole record, but it would have cost a fortune. But if you listen to the video remix of One in a Million, that's the way I wanted our record to sound. But you know, sadly, it just didn't work out that way. But at the end of the day, it worked out pretty well. So I really shouldn't be complaining. No, that's funny. I didn't even know. I didn't realize that. I'm going to have to hunt down that, that video version now because I'm kind of curious. Because I love that guitar line in that song anyways. It's just really, it's, it's yeah, so yeah, infectious, yeah. right? It's, it's so good. So that's good to know. It's, yeah, and it's, 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 it's killer. But yeah, when you hear... Listen to the video mix, and it's a different version of the song. We re-recorded the vocals. Yeah. I added some guitar parts, but again, it's one of the. It's a learning experience. Listen, man, I didn't have the experience that I that I have now, and certainly right after we finished the record, I completely became obsessed with producing and engineering. That's why I went on to co-produce the second Trickster album with Jimbo Barton, you know, who produced Rush, you know, co-produced Rush and engineered Rush and Queensryche. And I learned very quickly all of those mistakes that I made on the first record were washed away with the second Trickster record. That's funny. And I actually mentioned Decadence on 10th Street. Um, that intro actually reminded me something of something on here as well. Like kind of maybe waiting in that line. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's funny. PJ said the same thing. And, you know, it's it's one of those things. I think I had that riff for Decadence on 10th Street. The first riff, the down, bound, bound. You know, the very Van Halen thing. It's also really influenced by... Um, Amsterdam by Van Halen off the balance record. It's kind of got that vibe too, but I've probably had that riff, that riff, the beginning riff for decadence on 10th street and the riff for Sedona. I've had those riffs for over 25 years and wow, I finally got to use them. And then, and then yeah. in the monster and me, it was cool during the guitar solo that there's cowbell and I was like, Oh, there's cowbell. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh man always i'm i'm huge with that and you know i mean look we could go on for days about the joke but you know what man the world needs more yeah. cowbell and i'm fucking gonna you bring are so it right you are <laughs> so right <laughs> now on dream your heart i mean you really killed it man that guitar line is it, it's got like a euro sound, sounding thing in some ways but what what captured me is the yes. fact that you play where you need to and allow the song to breathe you just did that little part at the beginning it's not overplayed but when you get the chance to you come across so well is this something subconsciously you're aware of when you're structuring a song it is i mean look man i've been making records for 30 years and i've worked with some of the greatest engineers and producers around and you know studied and look i've been playing filling guitar and with def leppard for the last seven eight years so the knowledge that i have making records and building you know building guitar walls as i like to call it you know that wall of sound if you need it structuring guitar parts and the key is the older we get we know that saying, less is more and restraint. And, you know, and that's what I do with my guitar solos, you know, talking about guitar solos. You know, I always try, you know, again, 
getting back to, you know, like Def Leppard or, you know, Bon Jovi or Van Halen, you know, Eddie's greatest solos are, you know, I mean, look, I'm the one. Yeah, it's a great, phenomenal ripping solo. It's got everything. But, you know, listen to Running With The Devil. That's an awesome solo. It's different. Listen to Photograph, Phil yeah. Collins' solo on yeah. Photograph. Richie Sambora, Living On A Prayer. Memorable, but yet it has a little bit of riff in yeah. it, you know, a little bit of rip to where you can hear the fire, a little bit of shred in there. Because, look, I'm a, I love all these new guys that are out. I love the shred guitar players. Andy James, Rob Marcello is one of my favorite guitar players. Oh, I think he's probably one of the, yeah. the, the greatest guitar players on the fucking planet. Him and to me, to, and I've said this, to me, him and Vinnie Moore are probably the two most underrated guitar players in the world. Because Vinnie, Vinnie Moore is another one. You know, Vinnie's an old friend of mine. Um, when I was a little kid, I discovered Vinnie Moore, and it wasn't until last year that I got to see him with UFO, and I was with Eddie Trunk, and we were watching it. And I said to Eddie Trunk, I'm like, this guy's probably the greatest guitar player I've ever seen live. Like, he just is fucking so good, and Rob Marcello's yeah. like that. It's just effortless, and every note they play is sort of right, you know? And so that's the key of it, but dream your heart out. One cool thing, I love the fact that you caught the euro thing because i'm I, I i'd have to research but i think dream your heart out is the first song i've ever written and played a harmonic minor scale in that it it caught me off guard because i've actually never heard you play like that so that was kind of there you yeah. go and you know where that comes from is of course a little bit of the danger danger thing because learning when i had to fill in for rob on a couple shows i had to learn like the live versions from yeah. rob's live you know playing and rob is very much a little bit little too over the top on certain things you know with the ingve you know and the harmonic yeah. minor stuff but it really goes to you know a couple years ago i was playing with joel internal from rainbow and playing the richie blackmore songs and a huge i was richie was a huge influence on me as a kid but it wasn't really until I started playing with Joe in 2015, 2016, 2017 that the harmonic minor thing, I was like, fuck, man, I've never written anything with harmonic minor. And I came up with that, you know, in the intro, that beginning riff thing, that do, 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 do. And that was the first time I've ever done that in my career. And I was I was proud of myself for that, man. It's a it's a it's a really cool part. And I'm glad you you picked that up. I really did. It really it. It, it was you. a change. It changed the dynamic of the album. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, it's different. It's cool. And then with, yes. with Blow Your Mind, I think the structure on that is infectious, infectious as well. It has that Def Leppard type of anthem vibe, but it really shows depth, with, depth in the song with the acoustic guitar in the back, which I found really interesting because if you didn't have that acoustic guitar, maybe it wouldn't sound as much like a mid-tempo ballad, but that really added to that song and then it was a heavy guitar you know if it had heavy guitar it might be a little bit different seems very well calculated what what can you say about that track well that's another one you know again it's uh whatever the song calls for and that was you know of course you know one of my other favorite bands and dear friends of mine are tesla you know it's kind of got the tesla yeah. vibe and you know tesla was a huge influence on me you know 
Give It To Me Good was uh, very much inspired by little, you know, Tesla, little yeah. Susie. And, uh, you know, they were they were like one of the first bands that were really bringing the acoustic and electric thing together. And so that has that. I've always loved that, you know, Trickster Road of a Thousand Dreams, the acoustic, you know, mixed with the electrics. Um, so it made absolute sense to do that. Uh, the song, I think, is a really cool thing because, you know, it's like a, you, you think of it as this fun, happy song. But if you listen to the lyrics, it's about, a, you know, a girl, a woman who's in a, in a really bad relationship and meeting somebody who is going to take her out of that and, and show her a new life. And so it's it's not as happy and poppy as you might think. But I really love it. and I love the guitar solo. You know, I really um, was going for a thematic very much Neil Sean, Steve Lukather vibe on that to really do something very, very, um, you know, epic, yeah. you know, but, you know, again, melodic, but, uh, you know, almost has, I think I put a little Don Felder in there too. I put a little nod to, uh, Hotel California in the last lick, I, I think. That's awesome. I mean, that's such an epic solo too, so. Yeah. Now, um, you mentioned Sedona. It's an interesting track. I mean, for years, I have said that saxophone needs to come back into rock and roll. Being a fan of Springsteen <laughs> and many of the 80s rock bands, I always felt it added another element to the music. Just a little bit more depth, right? Now, now totally. the song features a sax solo. How did that come about? Well, came about easily um, because... Chuck Berge, as you know, has been playing drums for the great Billy Joel for the last 12, 15 years. And uh, the sax player in the band is the, the legend, a dear friend who I love, Mark Rivera, who's also Ringo Starr's sax player. And uh, so it was like this, man. Sedona, to me, I could have very easily put in uh, a Steve Brown rock guitar van halen type guitar solo would have been perfect probably but i wanted something different it was kind of like you know when i'm making records you know much like on the title track lions and winner takes all where i brought my buddy michael hunter in to play real violin and have a real string section i was thinking about things that i haven't had on my records and i was like man, I don't feel like doing the typical run-of-the-mill guitar solo. And I think Sedona is a unique song in itself, lyrically, melodically, the feel, that shuffle feel, has a Toto vibe, Tower of Power. So I'm like, fuck, man, let's get Mark to play. And so I called Chuck and see if we can get Mark Rivera to come in, played him the you know my work track of it because Ted hadn't even done his vocals and I sent him my vocal and he was like dude this is awesome I'm all over it he came over we spent a day together and he just knocked it out of the park and again it takes the song to a different place and it gives you that you know Sedona it gives you that feel good summertime beautiful whether you're at the beach you're in the mountains because that's kind of what the song Sedona is about you know I kind of use the David Lee Roth uh, school of writing on this to where it was like what Dave did with Panama or what he did with Yankee Rose to where you're not sure if he's talking about a girl a place a car uh, a city you know and so that's that's total the thing you know total the inspiration there and it just it, again it goes back to when you're making records for 30 years you want to try to keep it exciting and do things that you've never done before and again i had never recorded a sax player in my in my studio so 
you know, it was just great. And I brought my other friend in, this guy, Frosty Lawson, who lives in the next town over from me. He was actually my daughter's music school teacher. And he's probably one of the most talented guys. He did all this, the horn stabs, like the uh, get the funk out extreme, you know, the stuff that's in the chorus, you know, the, the Aerosmith type things. He did that and put the B3 on it. So it really has... You know, that, like I said, that if you took like Aerosmith, Van Halen, and Toto and mashed it all together, that's Sedona, I well, think. Well, it's just, there's a lot of stuff where on this album that people are not doing anymore. Just like in the 80s, it was, you know, maybe they say things were pigeonholed in the 80s, but in some terms, I don't think that because, I mean, they people weren't afraid to use socks. And there were hard rock hair, hair bands, whatever you want to call them, that were pushing the envelope a little bit and using different instrumentation and whatnot. So, so that was really good to hear. Ah, thanks, man. I'm glad, you know, dude, you, you did definitely did your homework and I appreciate you noticing all these, uh, you know, these cool things about the record because that's exactly what it is. And most of all, Tyson, you got to know this from me and from the guys that we, how much we care and how much we love this. This isn't, and we all know Frontiers with all the so-called supergroups, these bands that they put together, you know, this is a real band. This is not just some project. You know, we play live, we rehearse, we were, you know, we rehearse in my studio and Greg's studio. We play gigs, you know, we just got off the Monsters of Rock Cruise. So it is a real band. And the difference is this isn't a cash grab for any of us because, you know, we're not making, we're not making that much money making these records, if any. So this is because we love the music. We love each other playing together. We love the band. And most of all, we want to give our best. So it's always about that. Just like what I said, I could have easily put down a guitar solo. That would have been probably great, but it wasn't. It's not the same. And just like what you said about the cowbell, man, I think rock and roll needs more saxophone. And just like the rock and roll needs more cowbell. So <laughs> That's so awesome. Now, I wanted to ask you one thing about new, new audio machine. Um, one of the tracks I really loved on that album was uh, Walk With a Stranger. And and I'm yeah. not sure, Walk With a Stranger. I'm not sure if a lot of people realize that that was actually written by Dave Sable and Rachel Bull. And it can actually be found on YouTube as a Skid Row demo. How was it sure. that it found its way onto that album? Well, it goes back to 1987, 1986, 87, 88, when, you know, when I met, you know, we met Snake and Rachel. I met him through John Bon Jovi. You know, John was the first guy who was interested in Trickster back in 1986 before Slippery When Wet took off. He's always been a big supporter of us. So he introduced me to Snake and Snake and Rachel and I and Scotty. We hit up a friendship, so a lifelong friendship that still exists to this day. So when they got signed, my favorite song, you know, because Trickster, we played gigs with Skid Row before Sebastian was in the band when they had the original singer, Matt Fallon. And so I always loved that song. It was my favorite song, of course, because it was much more poppy, you know, much more up my alley. It was like Def Leppard, Bon Jovi, but, you know, gritty and, you know, shit, you know, shittier, you know, not as pretty. It had an edge, but. I was like, man, when they got their deal, Snake was like, yeah, we're not doing that song. And I was like, well, can we have it? And he's like, fuck yeah, have it. So we were playing, Trickster was playing Walk With a Stranger back in, 
1988, I think we started, or even 87, but I think it was 88 we started playing that. I think there's actually footage of us on YouTube of us playing that wow. song. And so, flip, you know, fast forward to 2011 when we were working on the new Audio Machine record, you know, I was always trying to bring back songs and riffs that I didn't use. And that was one of them that came up. So I said to the guys, you know, I said, we got to change the key because it was way higher. It was in the key of A originally, the way the skids and the way we did it. And it was vocals were super high and and just not pleasant sounding anymore. So I dropped the key down, transposed it to E and worked up a version of it. And I said, you know, when we got done with it, I sent the finished you know, mastered mix to Snake and Rachel, and they both were like, wow, I finally like that song. Wow. So it was really, really cool, and I I really love, I really love my, uh, I really love the guitar solo I did on that one. It was just one of those good days where all the notes seemed to hit the right, uh, hit the right chord, if you know what I mean. And you might find this funny, but that may be my favorite Trickster album. I love it. Oh, that, you know what, man? A lot of people say that. That and Human yeah. Era. You know, and, and really the coolest, and, and I appreciate that so much. And just so you know, in November, I think, I'm going to be re-releasing New Audio Machine and Human Era because I got the rights back. So there's going to be a new remastered version with bonus tracks and stuff coming out in October, November. I think it's only going to be digital only, but there's going to be some cool, cool uh, extras on there. But uh, yeah, you know, how cool is that, that here we are, Trickster, we made, in my opinion, New Audio Machine and Human Era. We made two records 20 years later that were, to me, equally as good, if not better, than our first two albums. That's amazing, man. And again, it goes back to what I said before. For me, that's how much I care. I'm not going to half-ass anything. I'm not going to do, you know, I know guys guys that make records for Frontiers, man. They just go, ah, man, I'm getting paid to do this. I'm only, I'm only working X amount. Of, they have it figured out to the amount of hours they're going to work on the record. And they say, fuck it, I'm giving them whatever they get. And it's like, man, and I go, that's fucked, that's up. fucked up. I go, how could you do yeah. that? And I go, well, and then, and then I look at them and I go, oh, that's why your record sounds like shit. And that's why you're playing to fucking 20 people. Yeah, you know? that's right. Um, are you guys slated to be at M3 this year, Tokyo Motor Fest? Did I see that? No, we're not. And I'm fucking, I'm bummed about it, actually. But no, we never got an offer. And what's interesting is that the promoter, Eric, Eric, um, what the fuck, Eric Baker, is a dear friend. He used to work for MCA Records. He was our local rep in New England for back in the Trickster days. I mean, we met him on our first tour, first time we ever played Boston. Uh, but yeah, it just didn't work out. I mean, I don't think M3 is even going to happen no, this it year. So, like it. I mean, we're getting close, right? I mean, they already postponed. It. It's supposed to be Labor Day weekend, so it doesn't. We're only two months away, right? It's crazy. Yep. Well, Steve, I've taken up enough of your time. I really want to thank you for speaking with me today. I wish you the best of luck on the on this release, and uh, I really think the hard rock melodic fans are going to enjoy this album. Well, I appreciate that, Tyson, and to everybody out there. Give it a listen, turn it up. I think you're going to be happy. And just like what I said in the press release, I think Lions is the feel-good, uplifting rock record that every everybody in the world needs right now. I think it'll make everybody's day a lot better by listening to this record.
Okay, right on. Okay, cheers, cheers, brother. Man. Thanks okay, so much. Okay, thank you. Take Good care. See you. Bye.